Welcome to the Our Safe Harbor Church podcast. Here you can listen to our Sunday sermon, Monday morning message, and midweek Bible study. We hope you will consider subscribing, sharing, leaving a review, but please be sure to check out our website at www.OurSafeHarbor.com to learn more about us and find ways to get involved. Our Safe Harbor Church, we are with you wherever you are. Welcome back to 2 Timothy chapter 2, this time starting at verse 20. Before we enter this section, you really need to remember what this book is. While not everyone agrees that Paul wrote 2 Timothy, in fact, just a a quick aside, a great many scholars do not believe that Paul wrote 2 Timothy, and a sizable portion don't believe he wrote 1 Timothy. They believe it was written from the school of Paul. I really don't go with that, um, especially for 1 Timothy, and I think probably here as well. But they do have a point in that scriptures were written, Old Testament and New Testament, sometimes within a community. And back in those days, to put Paul's name on a letter that you wrote was not considered to be dishonest, especially if you were writing it in the style of, or in his school of thought and teaching. So just be aware that's out there. That said, this is a book written to a young male evangelist. When we say the word evangelist, sadly, we think of TV hucksters trying to get the social security check away from your parents, but that's not what this is. The word evangelist means the one who goes from place to place telling the good news of Jesus. And as we said last week, and if you didn't catch it, you'll need to catch that too many of our churches are spreading burdens, not good news. And so here's the good news. So, but it is a young man. And so there are gonna be some male specific things said to this young man, especially since it's someone that Paul adores and calls his son in the faith. Some of these things are gonna be said in a way which are a bit strange to us because we are not Semitic people, we are not Uh, citizens of or enveloped and ruled by the Roman government. We don't use the language, the metaphors, and we're not set within that culture. So they sound a bit odd. I'm going to try to make a quick explanation and move on. If I don't explain things as well as you'd like, or if you have any other questions or suggestions for more Monday morning messages, please just send me an email at patrick at rsafeharbor.com. And subscribing and liking is always a good thing. Here we go. In a large house, Paul says to Timothy, there are many articles, not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes and some for ignoble. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Not the way we would have phrased it, but I think we can get this, don't you, if we just have a look at it, saying, look at what's in your home. We would even go further and say, look what's in your life, what's in your devices. There are things that are, that are golden, that are silver. There are things that are, that are noble. But there are also things there that are made of baser things, and they are ignoble. And we don't use that word at all, do we? let's just say not noble. They are base or 
very flesh-driven, unwise, worldly, sinful things. And he says, get, get rid of those. Get those out of your life. I think every, every one of us has to do that ritual cleansing, don't we? Um, there are shows that you start watching and before you know it, they deteriorate into something which is ignoble, but we're already into the show. You know, we're already part of, and it just seems to get into us that this is okay. And for decades now, I've been taking shots at why would anybody watch The Bachelor or The Bachelorette or anything like that? It is, it's an adultery on parade. It's a vending machine of adultery. And yet you will find Christians just fascinated by this. There are things you need to get out of your house. There are things you need to get out of your life. Some Christians should probably be off Twitter or off Facebook or off Instagram. I'm not going to say that to them because that's not my place. It's their place before God to make those decisions. But it can, you can easily lose your Christianity on any of these sites. You can lose your Christianity in certain Bible study groups, either because they're going for legalism or because they are attacking others or whatever it is. Be very careful that you don't invite the snakes in your house and because they're still snakes. You know, I don't know how many times we've heard of dogs mauling children, snakes wrapping around the guy that loves snakes and his snakes must love him back. Spoiler alert, no they don't. No reptile has the ability to love. It will never know its name. It will never know your name and it will never care because it doesn't have those brain cells. That's why we call the base minimum brain a reptile brain. So, but people are like, oh, you know, he's loved snakes. He's had that snake for years. Who could have seen this coming? Anybody, anybody could have seen it coming. But then there are other things that are more subtle. And all right, here we're going to say this. There are people who say, I'm going to go on a diet and I'm going to lose some weight. Okay, great. I'll be very supportive. You know, certainly I'm not going to push it. I'm not going to fat shame you or anything like that. But I want to ask you if you've done what most of us have done after we said we wanted to lose some weight. We come home and there's some donuts. We bought donuts. And we're going, oh, I don't know why I bought donuts. I'm not supposed to have donuts. I just, and then we put the donuts carefully sealed on the counter or eclairs in the fridge instead of going, this should not be in my house. Now, by the way, I'm pro donut um, and I would never tell you that you had to eat this diet or that diet. That's not the point. I hope you're getting the point here. And the point is we bring things into our house and we'll go, oh, you know, that probably wasn't the smartest thing. But then we leave them there when we should toss them out. I've even had people say, well, I hate to waste it. You're, if you overeat, then you're going to have to burn off those calories or you're going to pay physical effects. Waste the food. You're not wasting it. You're keeping it from going to your waste. How's that? Uh, if you want to, you can go out and find a skinny person and say, you like donuts? Uh, or send them to me. Uh, I, I selflessly would, would, would accept. 
but even then, not very many. I lost 50 pounds eight years ago, and I'm aware of how difficult it is to do that and, and keep it off. So um, I try to make sure there's not too much in the house, but every now, you know, right now, are you being open with each other? There are peanut M&Ms in my house. There are. I have no idea how they got there. Yes, I bought them. But I decided, what? You know something? A few a day is not going to hurt me. But if it started to where I was grabbing handfuls, they'd need to go. But we're talking food here. But there are other things. There's lust. There's greed. There's whatever. Um, you can get soaked into argument and horrible shows, whether it is podcast or AM radio or, or a 24-7 news cycle. Be very careful that you are not debased by what you're allowing in your home. C.S. Lewis thought of the, uh, the, the new rising technology of television as being very, very dangerous. And I remember something he said about it. He said, if there is a sewer pipe sticking into your living room, the worst possible decision would be to open it. That's what Paul's saying here. And then he says this, flee the evil desires of youth. I don't like that translation, and I'm a big fan of the NIV. Um, other versions say flee youthful lust, and it's a plural there, because it's not just lust as in sexual, but lust over other things. And, and when you're youthful, you have the energy to follow those drives for lust, you know, uh, of lust, whether it's sexual or whether it's for pride or position or power or money or, but I, I don't want us to focus on what those lusts are. I want us to focus on the verb he used, flee. Because can we be honest with each other? And we've been honest about the peanut M&Ms. I feel like we have a history here. Uh, we've bonded. He doesn't say, be strong, withstand, remember what you believe in. He says, get out of there, run. Because you know something? There is some lust that just, you're not gonna be more powerful than them. You're gonna have to remove yourself from the area. Not, not decide, well, you know, I can just hang in, uh, hang in here. No, you can't. There are some places I've worked where I've had to say, there are some things that are creeping into me from this workplace and I don't want them in me. I'm gonna to have to change jobs. And I've done that more than once in my life. And I play guitar and I've played it for people, I've played it on my own. And there are some places and some people that that's gotten me into contact with that I've had to then pull back and go, you know, I need to narrow that and get that out of here. I need to, I need to move to a different place in my head and also a different place to play or a different group to play with. It is a constant thing. But we have to be honest with ourselves and say, what is it that you are tempted by? For example, I know many of you have been fighting addiction for years, and some of you are sober and some of you are not, and we're rooting for all of you. But I've never been tempted by meth or fentanyl or even cannabis, not once. That doesn't make me better than you at all, because I'm tempted by other things. We're all tempted by things that are bigger than us. And in that situation, you need to flee.
And if you have questions about that, again, email, uh, get in touch. You can always go to rsafeharbor.com and click through to us there as well. Uh, flee, but don't just flee. Here's the thing. Jesus brought this up when he said, if you cast a strong man, and he's talking there about a demon, out of your life, he's going to get some friends and come back. Emptiness is not what you need here. You've heard nature abhors a vacuum, which is completely untrue. There are many, many vacuums and vacuum states in the universe. Uh, naturally caused, naturally sustained. But I, for some reason, people would still quote that. But spiritually, yes, a vacuum is very, very dangerous. When you empty yourself of a bad thing, you've got to replace it with something. What's that going to be? I, I know so many examples of people that have replaced a bad habit or an addictive habit uh, with something positive. You know, perhaps the most innocuous one I could do now is the swear jar. You know, if I swear, I gotta put money in here and I, you know, this money is never mine. This money goes to the family to be directed by somebody else in the family or this goes to the church or something. That would be a very small one. But you, you've replaced one action with another, but there's, there's still much of a connection. What if uh, every time that you started to swear and said, instead you pulled back and you said a couple of, just a couple of lines of prayer silently, one for yourself and one for the other person. And none of this Southern bless your heart stuff, we know what that means. Replace it with something else. I am involved in ministry and I love my work. I really hope to keep this going for another 10, 15 years, even though I'm obviously advanced aged. And so if with your help and your, your giving and your love and prayers, I'm going to try to do that. But one of the reasons I do this is because I need to be accountable to people or I will lose focus. I chose to continue to work in ministry because I know what I'm like and I fear I would ease away from ministry if I took a secular job only. I do a lot of secular work, but you, I th do you understand what I mean there? It's almost like I know that if I'm the minister, I have to be there on Sunday. Maybe that helps explain what I mean. Replacing something, putting something good in there. Maybe you've had a habit of uh, uh, hopping bars and you realize that this is not helping you meet the right people. You're making bad mistakes. Uh, you're in danger of a DUI perhaps. And you know, it's just not good for you. Instead, I'm gonna take the time that I used to do the bars and I'm going to volunteer at Graceworks or One Gen Away or any of your local, you know, the bread shed or any of your local uh, charities. There must be a replacement. So he's, he's telling them, you're not tough. You're not as tough as you think you are. Get out of that situation and replace it with something righteous. That way that situation can't come back in your life. He says, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call out the Lord out of a pure heart. Oh, oh, did you catch that? You're not gonna do this on your own. You're just not. Now I'm an introvert, which people don't believe because when they see me, I'm talking. Introverts love people as much as anybody else, but when they're talking, it's for a particular reason. And whenever they're done with that reason, they need to go quiet. And as much as I love the holidays, the one hard part about it is 
you know, I love my family and I love being around my family, but I also need to not be around them for a little bit to re-energize to get back in. And extroverts will never get that. Ext extroverts believe there's something wrong with introverts. And therefore, no, you need to be, you know, if you just talk, if you just, well, wonder what the world would be like if the introverts were running it and, and could walk around to extroverts and saying, stop talking, stop coming to parties, stop, you need to sit in a room for a while. I don't think that would work very well. It doesn't work the other way. So I know I need a bit of recharge, but I also need the community. Gotta have the community because I can be good, but it's so much easier and more effective and efficient to be good in a community. Now we're an online community with an in-person element and we are working on, if you would just let us, you know, email us and let us know your name and your address, your phone number and email, and let us know if you'd like to know people around you that are also watching our safe harbor, whether it's their only church or whether they're adding it to their spiritual journey. We're, we're working slowly and carefully to connect people and we will do so in the best possible way because sometimes you need people to be good with. And then he goes right back into the church, kicking over some trash cans. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. Don't do it. Just don't. There's no need to argue. There's no need to get into it. I've heard people yell and lose their Jesus by yeah, saying that person was offsides. Oh, no, they weren't. Well, this is the role here. And just going on and on, I'm going, well, there's no Jesus in this conversation. And we are going from bad to worse really quick. But people also do this. If you, um, you know, decide, you say, I'm going to do the Lord's Supper on a Thursday night because these people are sick. You'll get people going, oh, no, and they will completely blow up the concept of why we do the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist or communion at all because they don't like when you're going to have it or how you're having it and they forget that the point is the communion with each other and God and they're going for the details of when they think it should be done and how they think it should be done and who they think should be doing it you end up not only in foolish arguments but as Paul used the word stupid arguments leave people alone let them and their God work this out. If they ask for your help, you can offer it, but make sure what you are offering is help and not another burden to be laid across their shoulders. And the Lord's servant, oh, did you, did you see this verse? Did you read it? Did you read ahead? Verse 24, what if we put this on our pulpits, if they're still using a pulpit, music stand, whatever, or engraved it over the, the, the front of whatever auditorium or sacristy you've got. And the Lord's uh, servant must not quarrel. I have laid out my reasons for doing things before and received back long emails with many charges and some of them might even be justified, but a whole lot weren't. My response is never to come back and take apart your email and respond to all of that. I did that. I did that for up into my 40s and before I realized, you know, Paul was on to something here. Instead, I'll send back 
I'm sorry. I'm sorry that this is the way this is, but if you ever need anything, I'll be there for you. Reach out for me first. I won't bring up any of this. I'll just be there to help. And I think I've lived up to that in most cases. You know, I'm just, uh, I'm a mess too, but I think in most cases I've, I've lived up to that because the scripture says, just don't, do not quarrel. There are other rules that Paul would have written if he was today, writing today, and that is never read the comments. But I think we all know that one. Go, don't quarrel. Instead, he must be, and he, because he's talking to Timothy, be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Be as patient with other people as you want them to be with you. But let's even go further. Be as patient with other people as you want God to be with you. Set the standard. That's what Paul is saying here. Those who oppose him, this person who's bringing the good news, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. You see, most people who fight to defend the truth don't understand the truth, that the truth isn't what they're fighting about. The truth is Jesus is the son of God, of the seed of David, resurrected on the third day, intercedes for us in heaven. That's the truth. Everything else is interpretation and what the centuries and our communities have made of it. So he's saying, I'm, be very gentle. I, I, I love doing more of the, the Plato or Aristotle version and just instead of making statements, asking questions and letting them think about the questions. But then again, I'd rather that we just talked about what we could do with each other, for each other, to help the Jesus around us. And then that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil, arguing, debating, standing firm for the sound doctrine as a trap of the devil. Because we always add our preferences or what we were taught by the people that taught that we respected into the pile when Paul didn't, and Jesus certainly didn't, and Jesus refused to, to put the burdens on us. So therefore, this is a trap. It's he's so easily done. Can I, I don't know that I've done this in the midweek Bible study series, but we've been doing this more than two years. So, possible. Let's say that I were to say that um, you know, I, I believe all of us should pray. Okay, good. We're all on the same Okay, good. And, and that prayer is good. We're all nodding now, saying, I believe it is, it is very valuable for us to start our day with, pick a number, 15 minutes, 30 minutes of prayer. And to end our day in 15 minutes or 30 minutes of prayer and reflection. I think every believer I've ever talked to would say, you know, I think that would be very helpful. So let's make it a rule. Now that last bit, most Christians wouldn't say, but it's what happens. It's what happens. Years and years ago, getting to worship on a Sunday was very, very difficult in the Americas. Um, long distance, people were separated, very isolated. And so when they got together, they tended to stay most of the daylight hours that they could, and then they'd head toward home maybe camping along the way. Later, the Industrial Revolution comes and frees up some things and roads are better. 
And so we can go to Sunday services, but we still tended to stay quite a while, you know, dinner on the grounds type thing, because there were no eateries on the way home. And then we got our own houses and there were interstates and such, and we were able to, to be mobile, to go places. And so services began, and they call it services. I don't really understand that. Worship services, uh, you have a Sunday morning, but some people couldn't get there because the Industrial Revolution was now at fever pitch. Some people were shift workers and they couldn't be there. So many churches, and they set up an exact duplicate or semi-duplicate on Sunday night with a different sermon usually, because this wasn't just for those on shift work to have a chance to come and worship. This is now everybody who's supposed to come back. Now you gotta come back twice. Well, last 30 years, that tradition has been fading and replaced with small groups, some on Sunday night, some through the week. And there are tens of thousands of churches out there that will meet with four or five or 10 people on a Sunday night because they want to be faithful, even though all of them were there that morning. And they, you talk to them about, what if you were in your homes and invite your neighbors in for a meal and just love on them till they ask you why? And you talk to them about Jesus and no, 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 we have to be at the church as if the building was the church. You see what happens? It's so easy to let history and the community pile things in there that are really a trap. Going to church on Sunday night is not a trap of the devil. Insisting that others do so or they are not faithful is, period. But I won't argue about it. We're gonna break into chapter three for a bit here because we gotta get some ground going. But mark this, there, is, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. Well, as we have seen already in Paul's other works, when he makes statements like this, he is not saying don't have anything to do with people outside of the faith. Because he says, no, I can't say that to you because that's impossible and that's not what our job is. He's talking about you're going to find these people in your faith community. If you didn't know that, you are. There is a... Um, and I, I believe it's defunct now, but there was a comic strip for many years. Uh, came out of Breton and was incredibly popular. Uh, you know, I don't know, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. Named Andy Cap. And it came to the States. It was rather popular here, which surprised me somewhat because some of, it, some of it is around British culture, especially the working man, maybe Northern England working class. Uh, and they, by the way, they pulled it from most papers because Andy Cap would also, and his wife, who was much bigger than him, they'd get into fistfights. And domestic violence back in the 40s and 50s was looked upon as funny. Check your own Jackie Gleason and the honeymooners, you know, pow, Alice to the moon. Um, of course, it wasn't funny. Of course, it was horrific. It, it was wrong in every stance. But back in those days, the, the old boys club ruled everything, all right? But there was one Andy Cap. Um, 
cartoon, one strip, actually a couple, that have stuck with me. One, whenever the, the vicar sees him and says, we need you to come to church, and Andy Cap says, well, I think religion is just a crutch. And the vicar looks at him and he says, and who isn't limping? That was a good one. I liked that one. But there was another one where the, you know, the handicap said, no, it's full of hypocrites. And the vicar said, well, then you'll feel right at home. Here's what I wanted to really stress to you. If you have been really hurt by a church, by a leader in the church, if you've really been hurt by the way church people have acted or treated you or someone else, you are not alone. That is a common experience for almost all of us because Jesus came to call sinners and they showed up. And some of them believe they have a form of godliness because they do these certain actions on a certain day in a certain place, but they do not allow God to use his power to change who they are and to change their behavior. And therefore they continue to hurt people. They continue to drive people away. And when it happens, do not blame God because the same God that reached out to you reached out to them. And while we would wish that they would be better, and we can pray for it, maybe pull alongside them and help them get better if we can't. We don't lose faith in Jesus. We just understand that soap is good, but that doesn't mean that everybody everybody's clean because people who have access to soap still have to use it and just because Jesus has called them and they have access to the power of God does not mean that they have any intention to use of using it and God will let them make that choice God lets us make those choices don't lose your faith be strong this is not a sign that Christianity doesn't work it's a sign that it's not being tried by that church, that leader, or those, that, those people. All right, I really wanna, if you can give me just a couple more minutes, because this leads into a thought. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over weak-willed women. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, it's in there. Paul said it. Uh, and I wish he would have phrased it different, but there were people using Jesus as a way to get into homes and get access to women, some for sex and some for their money. Oh wait, they're still doing that. They're still doing that, aren't they? Yeah, they are. And Paul just warns Timothy about these people, who are these weak-willed women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires now these are the people now, uh, the teachers, not the women. Always learning, but never able to acknowledge the truth. I know people who have many degrees in Bible history, languages, theology, and they just can't grasp, love God, love your neighbors, be like Jesus. They can't get there. It's heartbreaking. And just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these men opposed the truth. Men of depraved minds, who as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. In other words, they're just not a part of us. 
but they will not get very far because as is in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. I will submit to you that I think Paul's too optimistic here because very often, no, whether it's Elmer Gantry and back in American history or whether it is a preacher today that's selling you sacred cloths and little things he's touched and you send him your money. Well, they sit on a stage that costs $2 million and wear clothes that cost more than you'll make in a year. A lot of people still fall for it. Somehow we got to get smarter. Somehow we got to start reading the scripture and opening our eyes to what it says. We'll do that again next week. I'm so glad you were with us. I hope you're having a wonderful December if you're watching this and in the order in which they come out. And I pray that you'll be safe. These will continue. All of our videos will continue apace with no deletions, but there will be an addition of a Christmas Eve service. So everything will be there for you through the Christmas season. But if you're too busy, it'll still be there when the season is passed. Let us know how we can help you. Patrick at OurSafeHarbor.com. God bless. We'll see you next time.